James 4, 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And uh, as you do so, I want to remind you of something someone said to me one time. And they said, uh, if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise. And I said, if the Lord wills and the creek rises, it's still going to happen. You ever heard that before? It's true. God knows how to bring home those who belong to Him. This is one of those messages you may want to have a pen and paper handy for. There's a lot of stuff in it. And uh, did a lot of research this week. I wanted to bring forth this message in a, a way that made sense and, and clarifies a lot of things that James is talking about. And this is one of those transition passages where if you miss it, you miss it. And you don't want to miss it. In the life of a believer, there are things that mark what a true Christian is. There are certain practices, behaviors, but there's one that is above all others. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus tells us what it is. He says there um, in Matthew, let me flip to it. What's that? Okay. There it is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So a Christian is someone who strives to do the will of God. That's their main identifying characteristic. And you might say, I thought a Christian's task was to love others as God loves them. That is the will of God, is it not? In the Lord's Prayer we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, let your will be done. There are many, many verses that support that the number one thing God wants us to do is to discern and to know His will. Now the hardest part of that is discerning it. It even says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that if we will let our minds be renewed and not be conformed to the patterns of the world, that He will help us to discern God's perfect, good, and divine, acceptable will. God will help us. But we have to be willing, first of all, to do that. And that's tricky. So this passage, you're going to hear some things in it. And one of those things is the word lawgiver. You find that word in verse 12, where it says there is one lawgiver. That word is nomothetes. It's a Greek word. 
translated lawgiver. And what that word means is one who has put the law into place. A lawgiver puts the law in place, makes it, and sets it in motion, right? And then it also says that there is one judge. And the word judge is the Greek word krites. Not that you need to remember these words, but if you do, a judge is someone who applies the law, administers its consequences, and determines who is obedient or not obedient. But in this particular use of that word, the one who sees and applies that law is one who sees the heart and intent of the one who is being acting or the one who's coming before that judge. They see the intent of the heart. That's important. And we get into this because James says that we should not judge our brother. Because if we do, we speak evil of the law and then we judge the law. So if you find yourself judging another believer or holding them in contempt of what they do rather than knowing their heart, stop right now. That's what James says. Stop doing it. If he had a uh, bold face, capital font that he could put in there and enlarged it, it would be the size of the page. Stop judging one another. Jesus even tells us, do not judge one another. For by the same measure with which you judge, you will be judged also. Why would we want that? Why would you want that? But, he doesn't just say that. He says, if you speak evil of another one, you're judging the law as well. And if you judge the law, then you believe you're above it. Because you're no longer doing the law, but judging who's keeping it and not keeping it, and therefore you set yourself above it. And we don't think about it like that, but that's what it says to us in verse 11. And this is what he said. There is the one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. It is not you. So he says, you are not God. So when did you get promoted to God? Why are you trying to un-God God and take His place by judging others? We have no room for it. They even say if you point a finger at someone, the other four and the thumb are painting back at you. Painting a picture of who really is the source of your discontent. It's true. But you can't un-God God. He won't allow that. He set it up that it just won't work. And the rest of this chapter that we're in is going to explain that. And I really like what he does here because in this passage, he talks about God's will and trying to follow God's will. And there are three ways not to respond to God's will. Three ways you need to avoid in your life, in your thinking, in your relationships, how not to respond to God's will. The first one is to ignore it. It's a foolish response to God's will. It's when someone acts as if God doesn't exist. That they live their life and choose what they want to do based on what they think is right and they ignore completely that there is truly a God. 
That's the same person who sets themselves up in God's place rather than God. And sooner or later, as we learn in, in James 4.6 and 4.10, that pride is going to destroy you. But if we submit ourselves to God, and He will exalt us. And He's the only one who can. So the first way then to not respond to God is by ignoring God's will. Or not even seeking it. The second way is to deny God's will. This is an arrogant foolishness. It's someone who may have heard of God's will, but they put their own will above God's thinking that God's isn't as important. That's what I mean by denying God's will as valuable over their own. This arrogance is what that is. is saying, I know better than God. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. But the third one, this is the one where most of us fall into the category and it's a way not to respond to God's will. The third one is by disobeying it. Acting in sin by disobeying God's will. We know God's will. We've heard it. We know to love one another, to care for each other, to encourage. And yet, we agree that that's what the Bible says is a good thing and God has established it's a great idea, but we disobey it. Well, after all, don't we think like this? Well, you know, I didn't necessarily do what God wanted me before and I didn't get struck by lightning. I'm still here. You forget you don't have much time left in this world. We don't get a whole lot of time in, in eternity here on earth. And God is trying to get us to spend it following His will so we can have a whole bunch of time in eternity with Him. That's what He's trying to do. But we sin by disobeying God's will when we agree with it. Which is almost insanity in my mind. Because if you agree with something that you know is good and well and don't do it, you're acting out of your best interest. If you know God's will is good for you and His plans for you are to prosper you and give you hope and a future and you agree that God knows what He's doing with your life, that He's working in you to will and to act according to His good purpose and you say, that's great, I agree 100% and go do something different. We've fallen back into James's earlier chapter where he says we looked into the Word of God and forgot who we were as soon as we walked away and act differently than what God called us to. Those are three ways you do not want to respond to God's will. And I'll tell you this, when we talk about judging somebody else, what we're saying is, I know about you better than you know about you. And when we say, you know, I have stuff i got to do and I can't just be helping everybody... And then, of course, we don't help anybody. But who's to say your life is more valuable than somebody else's? Well, you say, what do you mean? Look at verse 12. Last part of it, last sentence. Who are you to think you can judge another? Who are you to think that you can exalt yourself in God's place? You've self-promoted yourself in the place of God and God will not be mocked. Who are you to judge someone? What gives you the ability to think that this is your task? 
Did God sign you up and say, your job is to go judge people and not follow My will? Or is it to love, encourage, and help people be better? If you see someone who you feel like judging, it's God putting them in your path to help them be better. To encourage them rather than cast them down. To build them up and strengthen them because they have a place in life you see. This isn't healthy. This isn't good. They're doing bad. If you see it, it's the Holy Spirit nudging you to get involved. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, how do you know if it's God's will or not that you get involved until you start acting on it? Am I making sense here? Are you following what, what Jesus is saying through James to us today? That we are not in any position and we cannot promote ourselves into that position of God in determining what's right or wrong for someone else and whether or not they're good or bad. Yeah, I don't like this message either. But, thankfully, that's the easy part. We got through the easy part, now comes the hard part. There are some things that we all seem to do in verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. There are five parts in there of set plans that are not very healthy for us. Five parts. First of all, it says there's a set time. This is my time. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go there. So I'm setting the time and the date, if you will, of an activity. The second thing that I'm setting is the location I am choosing to go to at that date and time. Now, that's kind of logical when we live by a schedule, but it gets worse. The third thing he says is that we also talk about how long. And it says we're going to go to such and such a city, which is the place or the location, and spend a year there. A year. How in the world is a person going to know if they're even going to be alive next year? But no, this is what we are going to do. We're going to go at this time to that place for a year with this agenda. And that agenda is to buy and sell. We're going to go with buy and sell. Now this is talking about folks who would do merchant wares and they would go to different cities where they would buy and sell for a period to make a profit. Now, we do this also, well, but we don't think like to a different city and do this. We think a little more local. We think well, I'm going to stick out this job for five more years and then I'm going to retire. Or three more weeks of this mess and I'm leaving. Or if someone says something to me at work today, I'm quitting. Today. Do you hear any arrogance in any of that? Do you hear anything in there that says this is God's will? Or is someone acting on emotions? And frustration rather than on the love that is inspiring others. But there is one other part of that, and it drives the other four. And it's the last one. We're going to buy and sell. And the fifth one is we're going to make a profit. We have a goal. It's true. We have this idea in mind of what we want. And so we would put plans in place 
to get what we want. And as I said, we talk about time, location, duration, and how we're going to do it to get to this desired end. This goal is something we generally have manufactured. Uh, all the time in investment, I'm not saying investments are wrong at all, but what I'm saying is sometimes we use those investments for only a singular purpose rather than God's purpose. And we'll say, well, I'm going to invest here and keep it invested, and my goal is to retire rich. Nowhere in that phrase is it so I can bless others with what I've earned. To give it away, some of it. To help others with their struggles. We don't have a bigger vision. We're self-driven. And if we're self-driven, we're doing on our own will, which means God's will doesn't need to be a part of that, and therefore we've self-promoted again in our own life to the position of God. Doesn't work real well. But, again, I'll get all you back to who are you to think that this is how God expects it. Where did we ever get the idea that we knew better than God? And once we get challenged by God, we'll go, well, I don't even know if God exists anyway. Oh, you know, God's never helped me before, just caused problems. We always make excuses rather than obedience. Why that is, I do not know. But I want to share something with you. And I love this. There are five things in life that God wills for you. Five things. And they're all very, very important. And if you're missing one of them, you're going to be missing a part of the walk of faith. But five things that God wills for you. The first one is that you be saved. That you have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, walking in salvation, living that relationship out every moment of every day of your life that is transformative and you are restored into the rightful heirship being part of the family of God. That's the first thing God wills. He wills that all would be saved. And His patience is leading us to salvation, not to destruction. Scripture tells us that He's very patient with us. So it will become the salvation, not to be destroyed. And the second thing God wills is that we would be Spirit-filled believers. That the Holy Spirit would baptize us, wash us, filled, full, and we'd walk in anointing and power. Now the devil's going to tell you that that doesn't happen, that you can't walk in the power of Christ, that you can't do the things Jesus did because you're not Jesus. You're not God. But the Scripture's going to say to you, the greater things than Jesus did, you will do. Jesus Himself said that to us. That the Holy Spirit will empower you with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You are filled with that in that relationship. And the devil's going to tell you the exact same thing that he told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Surely God won't do that. Surely you don't think that you'll do that. Who are you to think you're like God? Whereas with Eve, it's like, He doesn't want you like Him. He always caters the response so that we either think too high of ourselves or too low of ourselves rather than who we are. And that causes us to miss God's will for us. But truly, He wants you saved. And we can agree on that. And He also wants you Holy Spirit filled. Where the joy of God exudes out of you and the loving Spirit of God just can't be contained because your cup runneth over. 
And the third thing God wills is that you be sanctified. Your entire sanctification, even says Scripture, is what God wants. And sanctification means set apart for His purposes. Holy and righteous unto Him. As a matter of fact, when you belong to Jesus, God sees you as 100% pure, spotless, and righteous. Now He's trying to get you to see yourself that way so you'll live out the faith of Jesus Christ in all of your life. Sanctified, holy, usable, if you will, by God. For example, I can use a simple one. These offering plates, when they first were brought into the church, were probably prayed over and the church table, I know we did, and the altar and the candles, these things are what are called sanctified. They're set apart for a purpose for God. There's a specific use for them. Now the offering plate isn't upset because it's not an altar. And the altar isn't upset because it's not a candle. And the podium or the pulpit is not upset because it's not the prayer rail. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has a specific task and it does that very well. God is trying to sanctify you that way because you are a temple of God with a specific purpose bathed in prayer. And when you do this and walk in the will of God, you will know your purpose and the significance of your life. These offering plates are pointless out in the world. This pulpit won't do any good in my backyard. But where it is, when God puts it in the right place, it brings Him glory. Same way when He puts you in the place where you belong and in the right place, He will make you significant in that place where you would not be significant doing the same thing somewhere else. It won't work elsewhere, but it will work where God puts you. You have to trust it even if it didn't work elsewhere because you thought there was something wrong with what you were given. So that's the big one, sanctify. But there is yet another. Of course, we got three of the five. The fourth one that God wills for you as a believer is to be submissive. Submissive to Him and His will. To be humble with Him. And this one is the kind of the one where we, well, you know, I got this pride issue. Well, yes, we all have a sense of pride. We're raised that way. You know, we were the best child our parents ever had. You know, we were so wonderful and so great. And we got our participation awards for being born. But Scripture says, that all who come before God are unclean, unworthy of His presence until Jesus Christ washes you clean. And when He washes you clean, He fills you with His Spirit, He sanctifies you to be used for His purposes. And if you submit to those purposes in your life, that's walking in humility. But the fifth one, ah, the fifth one we don't like. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't like it very much, but it is a given if you really, really want to suffer for the gospel. And God wills that you will suffer for doing good. Did you know the scripture tells us that? That you will suffer for doing good for the kingdom. Others will mock you. They'll make fun of you. Jesus said, if they've mocked me, they're going to mock you. Trust me. If they do it to the master, they're going to do it to the servant. 
They mock the father, they're going to mock the child. They don't respect one, they won't respect the other. So God wills that you will suffer for doing good, but not for doing evil. Not for doing the wrong things. Anybody can suffer for being dumb. (laughs) For doing stupid things. Oh, you know, I pulled out in front of a car and I'm suffering for it. No, you've got consequences. You're not suffering. You've got consequences for doing something stupid. Not paying attention. Or whatever. Driving distracted. You know, not not that I need to bring the school bus into every single sermon, but... Do you know how many times people think that a school bus is a deterrent to getting to where they want to go? Do you know that? And there'll be people who pull out 30 feet ahead of me on the same road I'm going when I'm going 45 in a 45, and they'll pull out because they don't want to get behind me. You know how many people do that every day? I don't know how many, but I guarantee you the statistics are all of them are in front of me. Or at least it feels that way. And they don't use turn signals behind the bus, so they think, well, the bus driver should know I'm turning and this 20-ton thing going to hit me, or 20,000-pound thing's going to hit me, and, you know, they should know. Why risk it is what I say to myself when there's something that big behind me. I'll miss my turn and slow down and go some other way. But the reason I say all that is because we end up suffering for doing the wrong choices or choices aren't healthy. But what if... What if you were persecuted for telling someone about Jesus in your workplace? What if you started telling people carrying tracts around with you or um, bulletins from the church and handing them out to people saying, hey, this is a message from my church. Here's a tract that will tell you about Jesus. You know who He is. You know, you're not supposed to do that out here. You're offending me. I said, I hope I'm offending you and I hope I offend you all the way into a relationship with Jesus. It's that important. That you can hate me and mock me and despise me and, and punish me here on earth, but my Heavenly Father will reward me with everlasting life because I'm doing His will. I'm doing His will. It doesn't matter what people around me say. One of the greatest things I learned in that sermon, The Mind of Christ, and we've had some more folks listening to that one, is that this world can't take away my relationship with my Heavenly Father because it's secure with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where I'm seated. And so pressure on me from people around me can't change that. And if I'm trying to please this rather than Him, it's Jesus that I'm focused on, right? The world around me. But if I'm focused on pleasing my Heavenly Father, then I'm going to be looking for the will of God in everything I do. And when someone says, I don't know why you're doing that, you just don't have any time, you're just so busy, blah, 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 blah. All you're doing is God all the time, serving Him, don't you ever have time for yourself? Think about yourself. And they just judge, judge, judge. Someone who's doing the will of God. And the moment you stop doing it, they go, I thought you was a Christian. Not living it out now, are you? Must have been fake. I'd rather suffer for doing good and God wills that rather than suffering for not doing anything or doing wrong. But what is doing good, really? What is doing good? This is the question I had to ask myself this week. What is it that is doing good? And James even kind of talks about this at the end of this passage where he says, the one who knows to do good and doesn't do it, for that person it is sin. And I said, what is doing good? And I pulled out a simple explanation for you. Doing good is honoring God in what you should do and say. 
seeking His will in all things. To walk humbly in submission, asking the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you and direct your life. In Micah, the book of Micah, it says that what does the Lord require of you? What does He require of you? And what is good? But to do justly. Not to judge, but to do, to do fair. To love mercy rather than judgment. And to walk humbly with your God. That is what God is asking us to do. There's no place in there where it says condemn, criticize, throw hate, profane another, slander. Nowhere does it say to boast about your plans. Instead, he says to walk humbly with God is if the Lord wills, we will live. That's what it says in verse 15. If the Lord wills, we shall live. If the Lord wills, we won't. And if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. But we're not going to do this or that unless the Lord wills it. To bring our hearts and our plans before the Lord and say, now what are yours? Someone once said, do you want to make God laugh? Tell Him your plans. If you want to make God smile, ask Him His. Because if you boast and say what you're going to do without consulting with God, you've walked in, and James says it, being evil. i I, got to put that real simple. If you don't follow God's will and follow Him with your life and your plans that are His plans now, if you do not do that, you're walking in evil. Now let, now let me let me tell you what walking in evil looks like. Walking in evil means you've invited the hosts and the dominions of the devil to have free reign in your business. Because if God is not running your business, then you're partnering with other. And the only other is darkness and evil. Because all our ways are wicked, your heart is desperately wicked. It does not get to do the right thing, and it doesn't know how. So this morning, I really want you to think about if you've walked this journey called life as a lawgiver and a judge, and promoted yourself into those places. I've been like that a long time. I have. I'll tell you a true story. Many years ago, I had a Ford Ranger pickup. It had a problem. So I took it to the dealer and got it fixed. Well, I'd taken it to that dealer before and they didn't fix it right. Well, next to the dealer's road, its speed limit is 35. And what the problem was is this thing wouldn't accelerate over in third gear over 20 miles an hour. It just kind of tank out. So I got out of the dealer. I paid for the repair. I got it on that road. And I shifted. It was a manual shift truck into third gear. And I floored it. I was going 55 right by a cob. 
Well, he pulled me over, and I said, why are you pulling me over? He said, you were going 55. I said, I know, I was testing the truck out. He said, I don't care if you're testing your truck out. You're going 55 in my 35. Here's your ticket. Go see the judge. Talk to him about it. I was mad that he gave me the ticket. I said, I did the right thing. I was checking it out because I was going to have to take it back to the dealer if it didn't work right. But it, fortunately, it worked right. But unfortunately, it worked right. <laughs> and I was mad. And I, I was telling my friends at the time, I said, look what this cop says, you know, we shouldn't have pulled me, we shouldn't have given me a ticket. And he said, who made you judge over what's right and wrong? Did you break the law? Yes, but it was a fair break. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, who put you as judge? Tell that to the judge and see what he says. So I did. That one and the two other tickets I had with it. And he looked at me and said, so you're saying I should overlook this one but not these two? And I said, no sir, what I'm saying is I thought what I did was within the parameters of right. And he looked at me and said this, who made you me? Oh. And he looked at me and said, but I have grace. I'll give you equipment violation, non-moving, same amount, three tickets, going all the non-moving violations, save your insurance for your paying, son. Now get out of my courtroom, stop speeding. That's what he said. Now let me ask you the question that he asked me. Who made you God? And said it's okay to do the things God said isn't. And to walk in a way that God didn't say was okay. Whoever said that this was okay for us as believers to promote that and then say, we believe. If we believe in Jesus Christ, He's the one who transforms us to be like Him. Not to be His name without His responsibility of carrying the grace and the peace all over the world around us, right? So today, I'm asking you to stop now acting like you know better than God. To walk in obedience, to love Him, to serve Him, and do the five things that He wills for your life. You can make excuses or you can accept the fact that God knows what He's doing. And in that statement is where we struggle. But I don't know how. That's an excuse. You can ask. I don't know what God wants from me. Doesn't mean you do nothing. Doesn't mean you do the wrong thing. I don't know when to do it. Pray. Seek counsel. And here's the number one thing I'll tell you to do once you decide to follow the will of God. Surround yourself with people who love God who keep you on the path. Keep accountable. Because that old messy devil will get back in your business as quick as you say, I got this. Got it figured out. I don't know who promoted you to God, but God says it wasn't him. So he had to humble me before a judge. I was still mad. But I was thankful that the judge moved into non-moving violations. And I'm going, I don't know if I like that judge or dislike him. He should have dismissed it. That's what I think he should have done. And I'm going, wait a minute. I can't tell the judge what he's supposed to do. And here I am trying to do his job. 
And here we are as believers trying to tell God how we're supposed to live our lives. He's already written it down. We got the information. We just need to pay attention. We are not so rich that we can't afford to pay attention to the Bible. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word today. It's, uh, it's challenging, but it's also enlightening because You do desire a relationship with us. You want us empowered. You want us joyful. And we keep doing things that make us feel miserable and full of guilt and shame. And, and we don't understand why we don't feel different. God, You've called us to Yourself. And from that place, of that relationship, all other things can flow. God, help us this day to discern Your will. If there's some things in our lives that You know we have been disobedient in, and uh, that You want us to repent for those, to turn our lives back to You in those areas, and to come and say, God, You're right. You're right. And I'm sorry. Because I try to be You, and I know You'll never accept that. So help us, Heavenly Father, to take our rightful place at Your feet, learning from You. For Your yoke is easy, Your burden is light. And we've carried so many heavy burdens from our own decisions without You. So help us today to turn that corner. Back to You. Amen.